Season 1, Episode 3. Welcome to the Show Me Comics Podcast. I'm Tim Pickerel. Who's Tim Pickerel? Okay, that's getting really annoying. So be it. Okay, we won't. Okay. Uh, Welcome to the Show Me Comics Podcast. I'm Tim Pickerel, digital media producer of Show Me Comics. And I'm Jordan Taylor, writer of all things web content and comic book scripts. I'm Sam Richardson, and I am the artist. That was very brief. All right, so today... <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> it's very brief. I do You're like art Prince. illustrations. <laughs> You're exactly like Prince. All right, so today we're going to be talking about conventions, and this is a very exciting show to us. And by conventions, I mean not beat me in St. Louis, but, you know, comic book style conventions or what the coin has been or the the term's been coined these days, pop culture convention or pop cultural media convention. Have you guys seen that? I haven't actually. That's actually what San Diego and New York Comic Con and a lot of other places are billing themselves as. Now, if you, uh, I don't know if you can pull it up online while we're sitting here, but like I was just looking at New York Comic Con and they said uh, their little tagline under who they are, we're going to pull it up here in a second, Protocon's getting it on the screen and we'll be able to tell you what the tagline for New York is. But uh, this is kind of an aside. Uh, but comic book world has really, you know, started to marry other conventions and get wrapped under one uh, roof. And luckily, the other forms of media have taken the surname Comic-Con, not the other way around, which is pretty cool, actually. Um, but the exciting part about this show is we really know nothing about conventions. Uh, we've been to them a couple times as fans, and we'll talk about that. But we just recently bought our first uh exhibit booth or table however you want to say it uh at a local con and we plan on rising like a phoenix from there except sands the ashes i guess we never get really got burned and that's exhibit with an ex because we know how to spell absolutely um so we're going to talk about that too on one hand our experience as fans and on the other hand our inexperience as exhibitors and hopefully generate some ideas but also some questions and answers hopefully from you the audience that'll be able to comment after you hear this and help us out and for the record, New York Comic Con is billing itself as the largest pop culture event on the East Coast. Pop culture event. There you go. And they only say on the East Coast because? They're in New York. And what's, <laughs> what's the one that would prevent them from being top in the country? Oh, uh, that would be the San Diego Comic Con. There you go. So they are billing it as a pop culture event. All right, Sam's looking perturbed, so he wants to talk about his experience, either lack of or at as okay, a fan, I, I probably have the most experience of going to comic book conventions as a fan, um, like the rest fan of boy. us. Fanboy? Yeah, as a fan person. Um, yeah, like the rest of you, I, I've never actually been there with a booth or had anything set up to present. But as a fan, I've been going to local conventions since I was probably 10 years old. Uh, my dad would, would take me whenever I was younger to, like, uh, some of these, like, local Knights of Columbus halls, you know. And, and back then, and sometimes still now, you know, the convention would just be a bunch of local dealers that would get together. They would rent out a hall and just put all their comic books in there and sell them at some, you know, insane rate. And uh, as time went on and, you know, some of the comic book movies would come out and the X-Men cartoon, you know, comic books were starting to become you know, more mainstream. You would watch these local conventions have more than just comic books. You know, you go from just comic book dealers to like guys showing up with, you know, these uh, failed attempts at Marvel movies like the uh, <laughs> the Fantastic Four by uh, who was it, Roger Corman. 
You know, like guys would show familiar. up and have like that somehow. They would have it taped like from some weird B-roll or something. Well, I remember and, when we went to one, and it was, what, maybe 10 years ago now, and there was like a weapons wholesaler there. And it's like right, and, and right. none of his stuff had what? anything to do with comics. Right. There was some, a lot of different groups trying to hitch their... Uh, wagon to the comic store. So has it, was it more conventions always really a pop culture convention? Uh, I think they were more of a flea market right. in, well, yeah, in the that, early that's, days. Yeah, that's what I was getting to. Is originally it was a way for us all the dealers to get together and say, okay, here's all of our best stuff. We're going to push as much as, of it as we can, you know, today or however long that the convention was for. And then as comics you know, continue to build momentum and become part of mainstream. They would, you know, add in the movies and the toys, and then it got to where it is now, where it is. It's just pop culture at these conventions because now it's cool to be a dork. Back whenever I was going, I remember we would go in and there would be, you know, these just fat, sweaty, you know, the the comic book guy from The Simpsons. Like that was real, and that was at every single table, (laughs) and he was trying to sell me a comic book, you know, and – and possibly trying to get my phone number under the table. I mean, I don't know. Luckily, my dad was there. No, that's the old guy from Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you, you know, back then, I, you go to one of these little conventions, it's like there were no females. <laughs> and there was like nothing but fat, sweaty men. And it's like of all the stuff they were selling, you wish deodorant was on. So I'm not joking. Like there was well, a stench. That's funny that you talk about that, the no females thing, because something I've seen as an evolution of the comic convention, just in my, you know, short time growing up from, uh, you know, the end of my teenage years to now the, you know, uh, the latter part of my twenties is that, cosplay has become this huge it used to be a term that only anime type people knew you know and you could find an obscure website where only a handful of people around the world you know were really doing it now it's as big of an as an attraction as anybody that actually booked you know and paid money to be there or even about to have a cause a show dedicated to cosplay on the sci-fi channel Dairy. Yeah, oh yeah, I saw is. that a reality it's, it's show. It's cool. Actually. It's cool. Like back then, that wasn't considered cool. Back then, if you were, could you a girl saying, "Oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm into Batman. I'm into this," they'd be like, "What are you talking about?" Much less, you know, be an attractive one and dress up in some outfit and go show it off at a show. No way, that wasn't going to happen back then. Well, I think the other thing though too is, and it. A lot of people don't even dress up as comic book characters. They dress up as some other oh, yeah. random thing You'll that they like. Things. Yeah, it'll be like you know people dressing up like from Firefly or Doctor Who or something like or that. People or people dressing video up game characters. Well, I was gonna say, or people dressing up as themselves and their own costume. Like a lot of steampunk type people do that. They're yeah. not dressing up as any character that exists. They've made their own outfit. They've made their own weapons, and it doesn't exist anywhere except when they put it on. Not Which the, is the steampunk stuff really impresses me. Yeah. Some of that stuff is really cool, but it's pretty interesting, uh, you know. And I think comic book conventions are fertile ground for new ideas, if you want to think of it that way. And I think that's where cosplaying was taking off because there could have been plenty other conventions that cosplaying could have fit into, but it never gave birth there right. or, or had its rise there. Um, is because I think the comics experience. And that those kind of conventions really embrace new ideas, you know. Uh, just with it growing in pop culture, is uh, the demographic that uh, the comic books appeal to now, especially through the movies, is it? It's not just the comic book guy from The Simpsons, because let's face it, 
most of these women wouldn't be willing to dress up and do all this cosplay if the only people there were the guy from The Simpsons. It's because you have, you know, uh, the, the demographic of people that are actually coming out to these. It's it's so diverse. Well, I That's think what they not only did they, the... I think not only did uh, the demographic change a little bit, but also people's perception of the actual demographic yeah, changed. Totally. totally. Where um, in the you know late eighties, early nineties, you know, because I like to say thing on a girl's mind is, oh, I'm gonna you know dress up like Catwoman and go into this little hall where you know all these middle aged, fat, smelly guys are selling comic <laughs> books because I'm worried, you know. I might get attacked, <laughs> even well, if that's not really going to happen. Like yeah. the perception of it, where now it's it's a cool thing. There might be, you know, more than just comic books there. If you're in San Diego, there might be movie producers. There might be talent scouts out there. Oh, see absolutely, you. Maybe you get a part in a movie. You know, it's like it's beyond just ooh, it's the fat, smelly guy that might attack me. Now they have a reason to show off. They want to go there. They want to be seen. They want to be a part of the whole, you know, uh, environment of it. And, yeah. Well, that's another interesting thing. I, I, I guess I'm I'm not aware enough of when that change actually happened. It's been th- gradual. It's been gradual. But do you think like what really pushed it over the edge is when comic book movies stopped being horrible? Oh, like definitely. once like after like post Iron Man and stuff like that is when it really started. Well, I think part of that, but I think the other part is the you know the web, the internet. You know what I mean? Because okay. oh, for uh, sure. now the that you could actually peek behind the geek curtain, so to speak, and see that it wasn't. That's a great name for another podcast. The geek curtain. Peek behind the geek curtain. <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, once people could actually see more into the world and get in touch with people and realize, hey, you like this too, and I like this, and we're nothing like that guy from The Simpsons. Right. We're, we're right. both exactly like that old guy from Family Guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, the, the internet. Uh, it allowed a lot of these people a chance to, uh, you know, to communicate, like you said, and to go, hey, you know what? I had no idea that, you know, there was this many people that were interested in Spider-Man as I am. You know, there were people that I knew for a while that I didn't know were into that stuff. Right. And so now you're able to advertise the conventions to people like that. And, yeah, it does help to have the cosplayers where you can actually introduce a little bit of, you know, sex to sell this where back in the 80s <laughs> there was absolutely <laughs> zero sex that you could sell to get regular people and to maybe even say well these people might not have anything to do with comic books or video games but they might just want to see you know this crazy almost circus atmosphere yeah and you can do that well do you game. think it cheapens the experience or enhances it well how many big conventions and i'm talking you- about comic the comic book portion, not the experience, but the actual source material comics. Um, I don't think it cheapens it. I mean, uh, maybe if you are that person that's just going to find a good deal on detective comics, number seven, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, I I've yet to go to any of the big shows where there still weren't books on sale. There weren't deals being given out. I just felt like it was an overall much, you know, cooler experience well same here i I mean i'll default back to our pro wrestling days when we used to run our own promotion but uh when we approached that medium and we tried to do a lot of different things and have a lot of different things i didn't think any of it detracted away from the actual athleticism of the wrestling you know Right. right what it did was it Made a little bit of other stuff for other people to enjoy. We you had, know, yeah, but, I mean, we had a lot of fans that would never watch wrestling on TV. They came out to see a show that for was, the experience. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the things that I think is going to be so cool about when we start going to conventions is 
the live experience. You know, that's not uh, something you can get as a fan sitting at home reading and writing about comic books on a forum, you know. It's not as much of a, an electrifying experience as going to a convention. Oh, yeah. Totally. And I mean, the wrestling was a great analogy because when we went to Wizard World Chicago in 2002, what did they have there as part of the convention? There was pro wrestling matches. China? Because there's <laughs> such a, you know, such a cross that's demographic there. Because she doesn't know how to spell. But it, it, she doesn't. There's a cross market, and that's why you're seeing more video games and influence from other forms of pop culture come to the comic book conventions is... You know, I bet if you actually went and and you did an interview with, you know, X amount of wrestling fans, a very large portion of them are also comic book fans. There's a crazy amount of comic book fans in in professional wrestling now. Huge. Many of the wrestlers themselves, you know, come from that comic book background. Just the same thing with video games. I'm sure if you go through, you'll find out a large portion of them are also comic book fans and vice versa. And that's why now it's okay and it's not distracting to bring all these different forms of media into the comic book convention. And to not mislead people is probably why it's better that they advertise it as, you know, a pop culture event instead of just a comic con. Yeah, and I think that's something that mainstream media is realizing that uh, a lot of people, and I guess this might be too harsh a term, but like over-the-top storytelling, you know? And if you think about comics, video games, and wrestling, it's that over-the-top storytelling where, you know, the old uh, programs that our parents grew up with were like, westerns you know and uh medieval dramas and things like that. all these things had to be so grounded in reality that they thought that's the way it had to continue for years and years sci-fi breaks out in a small niche but i think a lot of these other forms are so hugely popular because people don't want to be constrained or confined or defined by the types of entertainment that they Oh, you know, uh, well, to add to that, want to consume. one of the reasons I think that's possible now is because there is, there's such a generational shift on who's creating all this. You know, when, when we were younger and before that, you know, the people that were in charge of the comic books and the movies and everything were these, you know, people from like the, the baby boomer generation. So, you know, they had like their little set ways. These were their morals. And this is what all the stories have to stay with. And I mean, when I start talking about the, the comics from the eighties, you know, it's still, it was like the people that were in charge of Marvel and DC at the time, they were these, you know, people coming up through the baby boomer era that were creating these books. Right. Where now it's, it's, you know, the people from our generation and just a little bit before that grew that are, up with the, they books. grew up with it. Exactly. And they're the ones now that are writing the movies, writing the comics, directing, the movies green lighting projects yeah Mm -hmm. they grew up on this stuff so it's no longer the baby the baby boomers you know they're in charge of everything politically now but whenever it comes to entertainment it's our generation that's slowly coming in and creating all this stuff and we're the ones that grew up with it so we're able to do it you know in a much better way look you were talking uh before the podcast we were talking about you know the star wars movies and i find it funny that the guy that created star wars george lucas is now looked upon like he's this villain and oh, JJ yeah. <laughs> Abrams is coming in and people are like, yes, he's going to save this. Like if that's not an example, that's of, like, not the, the Star Trek people say about JJ Abrams. <laughs> you know, a lot of people like those Star Trek movies. I but love that's the Star Trek movies and I love old Star Trek too, but there's a lot of die hard, die hard Trekkies that want JJ Abrams but they're, chopped that's off. Probably but they're the baby boomers. That baby know? boomer model, though. They're, they're attached to the baby boomer version of Star Trek. And, but 
anybody from our generation unless they're just one of those trying to fit in with all what all the other Trekkies go with. But I just think it's funny that, you know, there you've got George Lucas who created this, but now he's seen as like, oh, you ruined this, so our generation, our guy is going to come in and fix it. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right, Protocon just uh, put the klaxon on and also is aiming one of his laser blasters at me, so he's letting us know that we're getting a little bit off the convention topic. And, uh, we've been analyzing pop culture here for about the last uh, eight or nine minutes. Let's get to uh, our inexperience at conventions. Um, what kind of questions do we have for our audience as a fan base of what are we going to do at these conventions? Right. I, I, I look at it more as, okay, just as, as an artist, you know, do you want to stand around and watch me sketch pictures for you? Do you want to ask questions, a little bit of both? Are you there because you, you, you want to see me do something? You want to be more, you know, uh, communicating verbally? Like I have no idea because every convention I've ever been to, the artist puts his head down and he doesn't even want to interact with the people around him. And I don't know if it's because – that's what he thinks they expect or because he just doesn't want to interact with the people or because right. he's just trying to make commission money off. Of there you brands. go. Right. But I never see them sell anything. No. Well, I've got two questions in here. And the first one has to do with what you just said, Sam. Uh, so this first question is how would you answer your own question as a fan? Pretend the artist is all those ones you've seen over the years. What did you as a fan want when you were able to go over to their table? Honestly, if it wasn't an artist I knew, I usually want to take a glance at his artwork to see how it is, and then I move on to the next one. I'm okay, usually looking but... for the well-known established guy. So let's say I'm at a convention, and there's uh, – I'm thinking – we went to Wizard World St. Louis, and Neil Adams was there. And Neil Adams is a guy I, I love his artwork. He's a huge influence on so many people, and it was like, yeah, it was cool to hear Neil Adams talk, and I wanted to hear him like – I wanted to hear him talk about his approach while he was drawing. But I didn't want to just right. see him draw it. I wanted him to, you know, he actually say, look, I like to do these shadows Tutorial to make this almost. pop out right. Like he's almost dissecting his style as he's drawing it. Like to me, that was like, you know, the wise man giving out his secrets. So basically what you're looking for is a Bob Ross of the comic book world. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Or you're looking for a DVD extra, a behind the scenes, you know, only live and verbal, you know. Right. But it's. You know, I have the advantage of saying, well, this is Neil Adams. This is a guy I grew up looking at, and, you know, he, I wanted to see him. But for, you know, the average local artist at a convention, you know, like myself, nobody knows who I am. So are they really going to want to hear me sit there and break down my style? Are they just going to want to see something neat? That's what I would like to know from the from the listeners is what I, are you looking at out of from the creators when you approach their booth? I hope we get a lot of good feedback on that. Um, the one, two, or the one, two cents. <laughs> <laughs> The one set of two pennies that I'll throw in on this is I think if it's an unknown artist, they're more apt to, instead of just sit there and have you sketch sketches for yourself in your own sketchbook, they would rather have you draw them something, you know? Right. Um, because then that's, so, because what it sounds like is you were looking for interaction, you know, him to interact with you, to explain a little bit of something. Maybe you ask a question, he's breaking down his style while he's doing it, but ultimately a conversation, Right. No, not necessarily. I I could just listen to him talk as long as he's describing Talking to why. you. Yeah, yeah. He's, well, why he's telling me like 
I could just be a fly on the wall. I'd like to hear him say, look, this is why I crosshatch a certain way, or this is why I do my shading under the eyes a certain way. Like, I like to actually get that explanation. Now, so see, so theoretically, he could just be talking to himself. Right. He, he could have been talking. Right. Yeah, exactly. He could be talking to himself. I just like hearing the breakdown of like, you know, why did he, you know, uh, foreshorten the arm a certain way? Or why did he use this angle? Now, see, that's interesting because you're an artist. So you'd be very interested in that. If I saw the same thing, I'd be wanting him to tell me, you know why I drew this glove on this guy? Because this glove has a power that, you know, he discovered 50 years ago and it right. enables him to do this. Right. So I'm hearing a story about character at right. that point, you know, and whoa, what could he do with that? And it gets my juices flowing. So I think maybe we found a semi answer here is you have to get to know the person that's standing by your table before you. Right. Right. Start an, talking yeah, to Cause him. as an artist, I'm going to want something totally different out of it. I'm an artist looking at the other artist yeah. corner, but if I'm a fan, or if you're Do some I, uh, rich fan with a huge wad of money in your pocket, right. you want to know that too. Because then you'll be <laughs> like, oh, let me draw you a personal sketch right now. But uh, Okay, so that was question one. That's good. I hope we get a lot of feedback. Now here's my question. And this kind of, I wouldn't say scares me to death, but along the lines of that anxiety, you know, is... So Sam's the artist. When he's at the convention, he can defer to head down, drawing sketchbook, and he's doing something. Whereas... If nobody's at our table, I have to go to my deferred motion is twiddle thumbs, gaze longingly around the room because I'm the writer. I mean, you know, what what do I do not only in the interim period, I guess, other than pretend I'm uh, cleaning up the same stack of books that I've already cleaned up 50 <laughs> times, you know, and uh, and also when the person comes over. So that I don't just clam up and go, I'm just the lowly writer, right. you know, and then Quivering. see the guy with the sketchbook over there, you know, he's uh, he's the star. <laughs> he does things in real time. Can you watch that? All right. Yeah. So what, I mean, as fans, what do you guys think? I'm the artist and I'm probably not even going to talk to the writer. <laughs> as soon as he says, I'm the writer, that's whenever I'm usually looking at like the free samples. Okay. So going. how, but let's say same scenario. How would I... Uh, diffuse that and gain your interest, you know? I, I, that's whenever I would probably, you know, just ask you, what is the book about? All right. You so know, there what, goes, why did you want to create this? There goes to a, a good point about conventions. And I think as, you know, um, aspiring comic producers and as many of our listeners are, I'm sure that's something that you need to think about before you go to a convention preparation there there's no substitute for it like i used to do training uh for the navy and i remember if i had a day when i didn't prepare and i just fumbled through my lessons and oh you could definitely tell a difference in like if i gave a test that day you could tell a difference they they my students weren't scoring as high on the test but if i put in a couple hours prep work knew my lesson inside and out and then i went and talked uh, taught it, there was actually a quantitative difference that you could measure and see. I actually did a better job teaching. I mean, there's, do you guys have examples from your either line of work or just life where preparation is a difference oh, yeah. maker? What I, I think like, uh, incorrect preparation. So I totally cut Tim no, off. No, no, you didn't. I would, now that you've said incorrect preparation, I'm curious. That's well, funny because like, uh, Sam was just outside talking about, I'm going to cut Tim off. He was, pra <laughs> he was practicing cutting Tim off and you saw the payoff serious right here. 
Um, like what I mean by incorrect preparation is I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of the amateur creators, they go in expecting to be asked certain questions and mm-hmm. they don't get asked that they get asked stuff, you know, way different than what they thought. And sometimes more simple than what they were expecting. Like, uh, I think some of them expect like they'll go in and oh you know I can't wait for the fan to ask me about why my character does this why the sword's a certain way or I can't wait till they you know ask me who my biggest influence is in art where I can't wait to tell right. them Todd McFarlane and John Buscema and you know John and they Jack kind Kirby. of ha- and instead, pretend like they're being interviewed after a twenty year career right you know? they want to come in already thinking that they're famous and they're going to get asked all these questions and instead you know the average fan walks up and says like. Oh, when are you going to start doing X Men? You know, and it's like they, right. the questions almost catch them off guard. Like, what? I wasn't expecting this. How simple, you know? I have to ask me about who my influences were. Ask me why I shade a certain way. Assuming that everybody that comes up to them are also artists. You know, like from my point, I'm not going in expecting everybody's going to be an artist to ask me about my style breakdown. But some of the questions can be really, really odd. So I think like incorrect preparation on the person's part is what could really, you know, bring them down. Tim? I don't know if that's incorrect preparation as much as just an over lofty idea of oneself when they're going Well, in. The, you know, you're. I mean, it's incorrect preparation, but at the same time, it's like you need to be a little grounded in reality and know. Well, as, as, as you, as you set so. your rudder, so you steer your ship. Yeah, you yeah know, it's kind of like in fighting. It would be like, you know, if you got a wrestler fighting a guy who's known to be a really well boxer, you know, and. You can fight any style that there is, and you only assume, ah, he's just going to come out boxing at me, so I'm going to train for that. And then in the fight, the kind of guy comes out and shoots at you and takes you to the ground and tries to wrestle you. And you're like, oh, crap, I didn't train for this. I trained for what I thought was the obvious. Right. I think a lot of those guys do that. They build it up in their head that they think of it, you know, like the artist. He thinks of it from an artist's perspective, so he thinks of questions that the artists are going to ask him. But he forgets that it might only be a small amount of artists that are actually there. So some of the questions that he's thought about don't get asked at all. And it's stuff he never even prepared for. Right. I mean, as far as preparation on my end goes, I mean, my daily grind is web uh, development. So we frequently work on several uh, brands within our company. So we have we deal with designers. We deal with product managers, things like that. And... As a front-end developer, I'm usually the last line of the development process, which is usually a problem because we don't get involved in a lot of the concept meetings and so stuff like that. you have like to play catch-up. I have to play catch-up when – and at the same time, their planning meetings are missing something because they don't have my input to tell them and identify problems that they're going to have through the process. So a lot of times things will end up going over deadline because they didn't have my knowledge of the roadblocks that they're going to hit along the way, or it's going to take me a a little longer because what they delivered me, I can't work with and I needed to send it back to them so they can fix it for me to work on. So you need better collaboration basically. Yeah. And communication. And well, here's what we're going to do then to kind of wrap up this episode, I think to, both help us out uh, and also help our audience in answering these convention questions is let's collaborate. The first thing we want is feedback and listen (laughs) and stop. That would be the first thing. (laughs) Uh, But what we're going to do is we're going to ask for the suggestions from you, our listeners on how to have a successful experience. And what we're going to do is field research for you when it comes to 
uh, questions that you might be asked at the convention because we're going to be the sacrificial lamb. We're going to go out there. We're going to stumble over our own tongues. and But what we're going to do is collect all the different questions that we get asked over the time of our conventions, and we're going to make those available on our website so that when you go to do your convention, you'll have those frequently asked questions as a prep list for you, and then you won't do uh, incorrect prepara- preparation. Does that sound like a good idea to you guys? Sounds like a good idea. And do we uh, do we have the date and our location off the top of our heads for the people that are listening? And I have the date. So we're going to be September 21st and 22nd, which is a Saturday and Sunday, is going to be our first convention where we're actually exhibitors. We're going to be debuting our graphic novel, Hafu. And I believe Sam knows the location. It's uh, in Westport at the Sheraton Hotel. I believe that's right. And that's St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, the name of the convention is Project Comic-Con St. Louis. So we're going to go out there, and like I said, we're going to make complete fools of ourselves. (laughs) Uh, We're going to not be able to answer all these questions, but we will be collecting them. Uh, So look for that to post after we attend the convention. In the meantime, thank you for listening to the Show Me Comics podcast. We're wishing you the best on your creative endeavors. And for interaction, drop us an email, a comment, uh, especially on our blog, uh, or shoot us a Twitter post. It's showmecomics.com, and that's comics with a CS because we know how to spell. Yep, and go on Facebook and like Hafu. Do it now because I know you're sitting at your computer because you're probably listening to this on your ipad your ipod or you're just on your computer listening to this but go you're probably on facebook already so just go to the search box put h-a-f-u graphic novel graphic novel and like us don't like the comments actually go up there and click the like box because i thought everybody on facebook understood this by now but you have to actually go to the page and click the like button a lot of the things i share they just just like like the stay just like my share they uh don't take the extra step unless we just annoyed the crap out of you in that case Still feedback. Tell still us, go us, on no Facebook. Yeah. Please <laughs> no. write us hate mail. That's what we want. Hate mail is at showmecomics.com with a CS because you don't know how to spell.